Now I'm going to direct your attention to the Word of God, to the Gospel of Luke, very last chapter. This is the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Jesus has been crucified, buried, raised from the dead, and now he is literally for 40 days, he is meeting with various individuals and various groups of his disciples, as well as a quite a large number, Paul tells us, of about 500 people on one occasion. But this is one of those occasions here, perhaps an allusion to two different meetings in the scripture passage. Listen now. And as the disciples were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and the the, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Don't you enjoy it when you have one of those eureka moments? When something finally makes sense to you, it dawns upon you, you you see the light, things all come together, and you have a sense that this is what it's all about. Well, this is what is happening to the disciples. Jesus is having a ministry among them that is, I think, one of the most unique and incredible stories anywhere in the world, and that is the post resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. Those appearances that Jesus made in various places, indoors and outdoors, during the broad daylight, during the early morning hours and late in the evening, walking along the side of the road, being on a seashore. There's a variety of places and circumstances. But he's making these appearances to his disciples And these appearances, I think, is what gave them every perspective they needed to begin the mission that he had given them. And that was to take the gospel 
the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins to all the nations. They are going to literally extend the kingdom of God, which had been among them. As Jesus had taught them parables on the kingdom of God and had preached to them about the kingdom and had asserted his role as the king of the kingdom. And now they're going to take that message and they're going to proclaim it to the entire world. All ethnic groups, all nations, going to move it out from the city of Jerusalem where he tells them to remain until they receive the power that they'll need to do it. That is the promise that the Father had given, the promise over and over in the Old Testament in Joel, in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah. The prophets had promised that God would send His Spirit upon His people. And Jesus said, the Spirit is coming and He will empower you to preach this gospel to the entire world. And the gospel goes to all nations, it goes to all times and all peoples. But this is the time when Jesus is, is convincing them that he is alive by many infallible proofs. It was not just that they saw him, but it was that they touched him. They felt of him. They hugged him. They held him. They saw his hands with the nail prints and his feet. He was convincing them. And I find it interesting, the kind of between the lines, as you, as you imagine what might have happened on these occasions. Jesus was having fun. Jesus was having a delight. His soul was thrilled because he was showing to them things that were virtually unbelievable. That the one that had been crucified and they had seen that horrible ordeal where his body had been shredded and hung upon a cross and taken down and placed in a borrowed tomb. They had heard the reports that he was alive from the dead. And now he's beginning to show himself to the disciples. And the reactions that they have are purely human and all across the board. It says here they're frightened, they're astonished, they're in disbelief, yet they have, not only is it mentioned here, but in the Gospel of John, that they have overwhelming joy. They're thrilled to see Jesus alive and, and really can't believe what they're seeing. In fact, that on this occasion it says, they thought they saw a spirit. If we had the King James in front of us, we would get a little bit more of a sense of it. They thought they saw a ghost. By the way, that ended up being one of the heresies in the church. Docetism taught that Jesus never had a physical human body. He was just kind of always a spirit, always a ghost. But everything about salvation is rooted in the flesh and the blood and the bone of raw, natural, created humanity. Jesus came in the flesh, a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. He lived among them in full humanity. 
Deity, full deity to be sure, but full humanity. And he died an awful death of suffering in his physical human body. And he was buried. And before that body could see corruption, he was raised from the dead. A fully human but resurrected person. A glorified body. A resurrected body. A human body, but a body that now had eternal life. A fully restored body. A body unaffected by the sting and the bitterness and the poison of sin. A body that was designed to live for all eternity. I'll refer you to two little items of homework. One, read how Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 describes the particulars, both by analogy and by explanation, the particulars of this glorified body. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in ignominy, raised in glory. Read about it. Another little element that I'll give you to do your homework is to study the disciples before the resurrection appearances and then their state of mind after the resurrection appearances. Gloom, doom, despair, abandonment of the mission. Peter said, I go fishing. I'm going back to Galilee. I'm going back to the sea. I'm going back to what I knew before. But when he saw the Lord raised, it wasn't just the empty tomb that Peter ran and saw. It was the Lord himself raised from the dead. And these resurrection appearances completely changed the disciples. Thomas, thoroughgoing skeptic, doubter completely until he saw the Lord. And it wasn't enough that he examined and found out that the Lord was indeed alive, but it was who he was in his resurrection. He's now the Lord of glory. There was something about the Lord that was the same. They could know it was Him. But there was something about Him that was different. He was like nothing they had ever seen. And He was so stark and so startling and terrifying and, and, and uh, intimidating that they just had trouble coming to terms with it. And the Lord said, why are you troubled? He said, it is I myself. We've talked about this before. That's the ego I me in the Greek, the I am. Over and over the Lord uses that term, I am. I am the door, I am the way, I am the resurrection and the light. I am the good shepherd, making it unmistakable as to what his identity really is. He is the Lord 
of glory. He is the one about whom all the prophets from Moses to David had talked about who was to come. And so part of the experience of these disciples was that they sat through the best seminary classes that have ever been conducted on the earth. (laughs) And that were these classes where the Lord just opened up the scriptures, the law, the prophets, the Psalms and the writings, the whole corpus of the Old Testament body of literature that had been held sacred for generations, for hundreds of years by God's people. Each one of these great sectors of holy writ testified about Christ. And Christ just showed them there. He said, when I was with you, I spoke that everything about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. If I was a preacher, I'd stop right here and talk about how that's how you understand the scripture. The Lord himself, by his sovereign spirit, illuminates, lights up, shines upon your understanding, your weak understanding, your dark understanding our perverted understanding, our pathetic understanding, our limited understanding, our understanding that just barely can get out of bed in the morning and barely can walk throughout the day, our understanding that just barely gets us by, that understanding is illuminated, lit up with the glory of the face of Jesus Christ. And that's how we understand the Bible. I had a professor in seminary, brilliant professor, John P. Newport. He was the mentor to James Dennison, who was a pastor in Park Cities here for many years. And, and he was incredible how he could sort of lay things out. He was a, a professor of philosophy of religion, but he actually could just about teach on anything you possibly imagine. He had Harvard degrees and all the rest of it, you know, but he was just a good old Missouri boy that knew how to put it right out there. And he wrote a book, one of the best books I've ever written on why Christians argue about the Bible. (laughs) And you can see in that the different frames of mind, the different biases and prejudices, the different the different emotional emphasis that we bring and how really limited and narrow and, and warped and darkened our respective understandings are. But when the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ shines in our hearts, we can understand it. Eureka. It makes sense. There it is. That's what it means. And it goes not just to our understanding. So we say, okay, now I am understand a little more about the Bible. When you really understand the Bible, it never stops there. You understand more about yourself. You understand more about the world. You understand more about others. You understand more about what your life is all about. You understand more about what you should do, how you should behave, what you should invest your time and your money and your life into. 
And you hear the words of Jesus coming faintly and distantly from the Galilean hill saying, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. We're looking to begin. I'm supposed to do it this morning, but I don't have time. But we're going to begin a study of Acts. The book of Acts. Uh, In every one of my Bibles, I always write down here, when I finish Luke, I put go to Acts. (laughs) You know, you skip John because the story just picks right up. It's the same author, Luke. It's written to the same audience, Theophilus. And he goes through and tells the story. Uh, And in fact, uh, Acts begins that, that he wrote the former treatise, that is the Gospel of Luke, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication being that he continues to do and teach through the acts, the deeds, the doings, the ministries of the disciples. And so that's what we have. It's what Christ began to do and teach in Galilee and Judea and Samaria as He walked this earth in the days of His flesh. But it's what He continues to do through His people, through His disciples, through His church in extending and building the kingdom that He inaugurated and established when He was here among us. One more little mention in I just can't let this pass. It's interesting the way, these are the words of Jesus. He said that the Christ should suffer and on the third day be raised from the dead. We know that to be the basic core of the gospel message, the atoning work of Christ on the cross as He laid down His life and then being raised by the power of the Spirit of God from the dead, these great truths of the gospel, an atoning death and a and a life-giving resurrection. But he says that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all the nations. And he said, you're witnesses of this. That's a quotation out of Isaiah, by the way. The Lord says through Isaiah several times to His people, you are my witnesses. You've seen it, you've heard it, you've touched it, you've felt it. You've been changed by it. You're empowered by it. You're my witnesses. And the the message is twofold. It's repentance and forgiveness of sins. There's the great transaction. Repentance. There we are, sinners, but have been informed and convicted of our sins, our falling short of the glory of God. We've learned to hate our sin, to despise it, to see what it has done to us in making us moral cripples and completely spiritually mute and deaf to all spiritual reality. Our sins hang over us. Our sins condemn us. Our sins ruin us. And we can't disengage from them. You can't separate the sin from the sinner. The sin is the deed. The sinner, the doer. And inextricably bound together, they are condemned. And repentance helps us see those sins. And with a godly sorrow working more than just a mere remorse, but a deep regret 
and sorrow, the Lord graciously moves us to repent of our sins, to confess them, to forsake them, to abandon them, to seek a way that we could be freed from the consequences of those sins. And then the forgiveness, the other side of the coin, the freely giving of himself. Christ comes, he himself bearing no sin, committing no sin, having no sin, yet he takes our sin and he lays down his life in payment for those sin that we might be forgiven by a righteous God who will not let one sin slide. Somebody's going to pay for each and every sin. It's either going to be you in your unrepentant self as you go your own way without any regard to Christ or more happily, it'll be Christ. You will abandon to Him your sin. You will confess to Him and lay upon Him the sorrows and the griefs and the awful consequences of your sin. And you'll do it by complete trust and faith in His finished work. You will believe the gospel. And that's the gospel message. Repentance on our part, forgiveness on God's part. The Bible says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just. Every sin will be judged. There's an infinite justice in God that will make all things right. And the only way your sin and my sin can be made right in the eyes of God is to have Christ bear them in His own body on the tree. That's the gospel message. That's what's to be extended to all peoples of all times and all places. Father, we thank you for this time we have hovering over this message. Give us, Father, the grace and the gumption to do that which you have set us up and called us and enabled and empowered us to do. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.